Good afternoon. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And we are here each and every Saturday to bring you the very best in entertainment. And uh, we do that by shining a spotlight on all that is good. We don't pay attention to any of the gossip or all the really bad, depressing stuff that you can find pretty much everywhere else. Right. We, We like to dig a little deeper. And find the good in entertainment. That is right. And today is a special episode because, as you know, Halloween is just around the corner. It's the most wonderful time of the year for my co-host, Cole Wissinger. He does that. That's Most people snore. Cole kind of, uh, you know, howls like a ghost in his sleep. (laughs) Just like that. Um, We're excited because today on the program we're going to be talking about Halloween movies. Not just movies that are good to watch around Halloween, but movies... Actual Halloween. That's right. That take place on Halloween. That's right. And, uh, you know, some of them may surprise you. Some of them you may have seen. But before we get to all of that, we want to give you the very best in entertainment news. Some of it's even Halloween-related. But first... Look, it's a bird! It's a plane! That's this week in DC News. Paul Dano has been cast as the Riddler (gasps) in The Batman. That was this week in DC News. You know, we bring that to you because last week we talked about Jonah Hill in talks to be the Riddler, and then faster than a speeding bullet, those talks were over. And Paul Dano's in. Right. I can totally see that. He is weird. And he can – I'm sure he could play somebody that is an enigma. Heck. I think Paul Dano himself is kind of an enigma. Edward Nigma being the name of mm. the Riddler. Get it? I they get do it. now. Okay. So um, any other news that you want to talk about, Cole? Sports are here. Uh-huh. October is great because I love Halloween. I also enjoy sports. And this is the only, I think, month of the year where all four professional sports are playing games. Now, April's also cool because we have the NFL draft and spring training and hockey and basketball post seasons going on. But... In October, there is still baseball, hockey, and basketball started this week, and football is in the swing of their regular season. I went to the Jazz home opener just a few nights ago. They got the win. It's great to have all the sports all in action at the same time. Baseball, I guess probably not for all seven games that we probably could get out of a potential World Series because the Nationals are doing their job. So. Speaking of the Nationals, they're playing the Houston Astros, who are world champions a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. I'll be in Houston this weekend. Um, not when the World Series <laughs> will be there, because it's in D.C. for all three games. I mean, probably just two games. Yeah. So it's interesting, because this is the wild card team that is currently ahead two to nothing. Mm-hmm. And they beat their one-game wild card playoff game. Yep. Let's skip the NLDS for right now because we want to skip ahead to the Causes N- too much emotional trauma. Well, not exactly. Um, the NLCS, the championship. championship series, they swept the Atlanta Braves, who had a better record than them. Mm-hmm. And they are currently sweeping the Houston Astros, who had the best record in baseball by kind of a lot. Jeff's just trying to grasp at straws, trying no, no, to find, no, 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 no. find worth in his Dodgers fandom. No, listen, I, I, I'm flabbergasted, to <laughs> say the least. But the one thing I can take solace in, Cole, let's just say they sweep the Houston Astros, which would A be— A likely scenario. 
I I don't know. That is a tough team to beat, and and yet they have they beat their two toughest pitchers, like Cy Young no hitter pitchers. They beat them two games in a row. One a former Pittsburgh Pirate, by the way. So I guess if they do sweep the Astros, the one that the solace that I can find in all of this is that the Los Angeles Dodgers were the only team that could beat the Nationals in the playoffs. It's those kind of moral victories that Pirates fans like myself have been clinging to for years. So don't let that go, Jeff. October sports aside, let's talk about some spooky news. There is a Hocus Pocus sequel in development at Disney+. Plus. Yay. Come on, you love Hocus Pocus. I do love Hocus Pocus, and I enjoy at least half of what comes out of Disney, and so maybe I can be tentatively excited. Now, I wish we had more news for you. This news doesn't come with any casting news or when, you know, like the the release date news. It's just that they're developing it at at, uh, Disney+. Plus. But I think it would be criminal. I think there would be an outrage if these three witches did not return. Yes. Bette Midler... Kathy Najimi and Sarah, Sarah Jessica, Jessica Parker. Parker. I think it would be criminal. There's no way they could do it without those three. And I'm not even a huge fan of the movie. I'm not even a fan of the movie. But there really. are fans of the movie. They're kind of very and outspoken. They're rabid fans. Yes. So speaking so it's of, a, I mean, it's a good marketing move by Disney, which is the one thing I do trust Disney to always do is market their stuff well. Like when they sent out a 300 plus tweet thread clogging up everyone's Twitter last week. Just just when we had completed the show, we saw this scroll through Twitter because I try to stay focused. I, I don't scroll Twitter while we're doing the show. Of course or you I don't. would have seen everything that will be on Disney Plus when they launch in November. And Hocus Pocus is on the list. And I should add to just our Just a little late. Yeah. Our Hocus Pocus <laughs> I, I should mention that uh the, one of the the benefits of having the streaming channel is that they can they they don't have to take as many risks in their movies. They can put a lot of money behind a Hocus Pocus sequel and dump it on their Disney Plus app. They can do the same thing with the Lady and the Tramp uh, remake, a live action remake, which mm-hmm. is what they will be doing as well. But I think most people on Twitter paid attention to the really obscure picks that they have here. On Disney Plus. If Netflix once a month tells you just everything that they have, there are some weird things that are just on Netflix. Disney is calling attention to, yeah, they're going to have all these cool Marvel movies and Star Wars movies. But guess what? They also got just some weird stuff from their back catalog. Right. And, you know, okay, there are plenty of really, really obscure movies that people are highlighting in their their tweets such as, you know, the field goal kicking donkey with Don Knotts. Gus, I Gus. love that movie. <laughs> okay, that's one of them that people are excited about or they're being facetious. I don't know. But um, that's, some a, of the, oh, that's a legitimately – we have that movie on VHS okay. at my house. Some of the movies that I'm super excited about that were important to me as a kid that are super obscure, Darby O'Gill and the Little People starring a very young Sean Connery. Okay. And uh, check it out. It was out in 1959. There's also Flight of the Navigator, 1986, with the voice of Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Wee Herman. Uh-huh. You got to check that one out. There's one called Fun and Fancy Free, 
which includes the uh, the Disney short Mickey and the Beanstalk, which you've got to oh, check out. I know I've seen that. Yeah, you got to check it out. Um, oh, Heavyweights is a favorite of mine from 1995, starring Ben Stiller and Jerry Stiller has a role in it as well. Just going down the list here. Uh, what Thumbing else? Coming through a lot of pieces. Oh my of paper. gosh! Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> Jeff, we've... you killed a tree trying to tweet. Oh. print out the entire tweet. This one creeped me out as a kid, and if you haven't seen it as a kid, it probably won't be the same as an adult. Nah, yeah. But uh, if you watched it as a kid, it'll hold a special place in your heart, Mister Boogity from 1986. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was excited to see that on the list. Return to Oz, one of the creepiest kid movies you'll ever see. You've and it's mentioned a couple times. It is still creepy as an adult, still holds up. It's one of the few kids' movies that, you know, ages well, I think. Return to Oz, you got to check that out. And hold on a minute, there's still plenty more. I think there's over 500 that we've got here. Are you going to the... mention any good movies while you're thumbing through? Cool. You love the three caballeros. Right? I do. That's I knew that'd be in their list because that's part of the Disney animated vault of and movies. Willow from 1988 is oh, another nice. childhood favorite of mine. Well, you have all of those movies and many more uh, original television shows as well to look forward to when Disney Plus becomes available on November 12th. These are all old movies, maybe obscure movies, but we do have a couple reviews of brand new movies out in the theaters this weekend when we come back here on Screen Cleaning. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. I am joined here in the studio today, as always, by uh, Cole Wissinger. Still here. And every once in a while, we like to bring in our good friend Rod Gustafson, who is a producer here at BYU Radio and a frequent collaborator in the movie realm with us. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Rod, Cole. welcome. Thank you. <laughs> good to be here with you guys. So we've got a couple of different options for you this weekend in the theaters. One of them is... Halloween fair. The other one, not so much. And uh, since one of these movies came out a while ago and was shot several years ago. There's more of a story behind it. Right. We're going to let Rod go first and talk about the current war. Does that mean like the the war that is currently going on? No. Okay. This is the war from a long time ago. So so this is the the best movie this week that you won't see. (laughs) <laughs> All right. That'll be I, the best way to put it. Still in a bit of a, of a narrow, limited release. This is the story of uh, Thomas Edison. Edison, sorry, I can pronounce that name, and George Westinghouse. <laughs> and most people aren't aware that there was a war over AC versus DC. Not the rock band, but alternating current and direct current. This is all sorts of confusing. So the current uh, war. The current war, yes. Not like the Barry, not like, yeah, today's news. This is yesterday's news. 
Um, so, first of all, a physics lesson, everybody. And uh, this is why I enjoyed this movie. I'm a bit of a, I'm a nerd. I've been playing with electricity since I was just a little boy and I survived. <laughs> but way back in the day when they were inventing electricity, um, when there, Rod was a boy, when apparently. Rod was a boy, yes, this is, even predates me. So you have direct current, which is like what you get from a battery, okay? And you've got a positive wire and a negative wire. And then you have alternating current, and that's what's in your house. And with alternating current, it switches back and forth in, in North America 60 times a second. And so there were these two differing uh, ideas of which would be the best type of current to power our our electrical system with. The big benefit of AC, alternating current, is it can travel long distances. Mm-hmm. DC, that's more difficult to do, and I will spare you why that's the case. But this was the big thing. Edison was a big proponent of DC, and Westinghouse a big proponent of AC, and and Nikola Tesla is involved in this as well. He he works into this movie too, and he's also a proponent of AC, but he's got some other different ideas that kind of get mixed in here as well. The bottom line is Edison uh, finally kind of gets worked into this idea of how can he get back to Westinghouse because he's starting to lose his position in the market because more and more cities are signing on to AC. So he he comes up with AC is more dangerous than DC, mm. and it can kill you. <gasps> and so the AC current is deadly, and do you really want to be bringing that into your homes, blah, blah, blah. And uh, and one of the culminating parts of this movie is where the first person who's going to be executed in the electric chair, Edison, arranges for this using AC to demonstrate just how deadly it is. Interesting. And that's a whole story in itself. Oh, I, that's I remember cl- reading yeah, about this a few AC years ago. Yeah, he makes AC the current of death. Yeah, the current to- of mm. death, Ooh. yes. So this really is a lot about marketing and propaganda and everything else. See, I can get into it. You sold it as a science movie. It's really a, <laughs> a marketing movie. I'm well, all right. Okay, so here's the deal with this movie. It's good to know a little bit about the background of this coming into the movie because this is a really, it's a very artistic, somewhat abstract at times movie. It is cool to look at. I enjoyed it. My wife, not so much because, you know, <laughs> for her, it was like, why do we care? <laughs> mm. And 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 that, I think, for some people, if you're not into the sciencey part of this, is going to make this film a little more difficult. If you do have younger children, when I say younger, younger teens, kids are going to fall asleep. But if you've got a teen <laughs> who was a little like me when I was 12 years old and uh, was plugging things into the wall I shouldn't have been plugging into the wall, they, they may enjoy this. Maybe. And it's around midterm time in middle school if they have a but, paper to write on Edison. That's right. Maybe to go see Spider Man is in it. Yeah, that's true. Spider Man is in it. You're right, Jeff. I totally, I didn't connect all of that. Benedict Cumberbatch um, playing Edison in this movie and does his usual Benedict. He's really getting quite the uh, quite the resume of neurotic characters, and so sure. and, that, and that's how Edison comes across, and that seems to be consistent with a lot of what Similar we hear about Similar to Alan Turing Edison. when he was in uh-huh, the... Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep, yep. 
another just sciencey biopic. Yeah. So the actual history that the movie is based on is cool, but the movie itself has a history as oh, well. Yes, right yes it certainly does. This is reported to be the last movie that comes from uh, Harvey Weinstein's company. And I, I've i been trying to do some research on that. There's, there's a couple of others that look like they may be coming out as well. I'm not sure. But this movie was originally um, supposed to be released in 2017. I guess what happened was Harvey Weinstein wanted his own cut of it. He took it kind of away. He, he took his producer privileges and took it away from the director. And, it was a and hands-on cut it. kind of a yeah. Yeah, and it was a total flop with the critics. They really didn't like it. And so now this one that is out now is what is called the director's cut. And Martin Scorsese gets involved in this. He was one of the producers as well who promised the director, Alfonso Gomez Rejon, that he would um, he would hold final cut rights on it if something should happen. Well, something, something happened. happened. Something <laughs> happened. Uh-huh. And so he returned it back to the director so he could recut it. The critics overall are saying it's a much better film now having been recut. So I think there's a movie about the movie that we may see one day. <laughs> mm. There's a pain and they go to Produced by Martin Scorsese. Yeah efforts to make sure we know this is the, the current du- wars yeah. the director's, the director's cut, cut just to get Harvey's name as far away from this so this is possible. this is the Which most is current of the current wars this is right? okay <laughs> that was the alternate title yes hey All there's right. another movie in theaters uh, this one probably at a couple more theaters and more just popcorn halloween fair jeff and i went to see it last night it was Countdown. You know, but I feel like this is another movie that was really kind of hidden in the marketing. Like the only trailer I saw for this film was the result of me clicking on it online. I never saw it in a, a you know, before a movie that I was going to see. Didn't see it on TV. So there wasn't great marketing for this movie. So your hmm. phone, everyone knows your phone's listening to you, right? After we watched this trailer and my phone heard it. My phone gave me advertisements for it. And so this movie about an app gave me ads in my other apps. That's kind of scary, Cole. For Countdown. And you watched the trailer. Okay, I I hate to digress here, but I want to know. How did you watch the trailer? Just on Jeff's computer here at work. Yeah. With my phone sitting And your phone, and you think it was listening? I mean, my phone, your phone's always listening. That's just freaky. When we saw the trailer, (laughs) Cole, I I saw the trailer. I don't know if we watched it at the same time or if I watched it and then I said, you've got to see this. I think that's what happened. But it looked like one of these dumb, fun movies that are perfect for Halloween. You know, it's not going to offer any genuine scares. You just want to go and have a good time. It seemed blumhouse It's no worse than some of Blumhouse's normal stuff, but it's not, and so it didn't get their marketing push behind it, and so it probably won't make as much money, but it's still a perfectly fine Halloween kind of scary movie. It's about a killer app. Yeah. <laughs> What else do you want? Cole. Dang, I like The Ring. I prefer Killer VHS for some reason. That is true. Similar. (laughs) It is no The Ring, and it's not even as dumb fun as I hoped it would have been. (laughs) Oh, Jeff. All right. And it's it's not even original. Cole, the entire movie you kept saying, oh, this is just like in Final Destination 7 when they did such and such. Okay, it's Final Destination 2. We'll get to that. Um, it kind of follows a lot of the same horror movie tropes uh, in and out of this subgenre of trying to cheat death, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the only chills that I got, and this may sound cheesy, but I, it's it's genuine. The only chills I got from this movie 
was they must have been trying to manufacture chills in that theater because it was freezing. <laughs> they cranked up the AC in that theater. And I brought this armless <laughs> vest that, you know, no matter which way I put it over my torso, the air was getting through the armless, you know, the holes right. in the vest. As opposed to my armed vests it's all that part I of the, around. all part of the experience. Maybe the director requested We're in that, that time of October yeah. where you need AC during the day and you need the heat on during the night. And we went at the nighttime when it was very chilly outside. But Countdown itself is about this app that can predict when you're going to die. It gives you a countdown to your death. And if you see that you're going to die tomorrow, maybe you change your plans a little bit. Well, death Mm. does not want that. And so he starts coming after you. And it was really cleverly played with. They have a character that... I I think it might be my favorite character in a horror movie that I've seen this year where he's a priest that's really like he got he says he, he got him into the cloth that he is a fan of all these demon and angel lore battles. Right. And that's the kind of stuff that I get into, too. And so to see him kind of geek out about the fact that there is an actual curse out there that he gets to try to, you know, use all of his useless knowledge up until this point to try to combat is really fun to see. Right. And he's got tattoos. He listens <laughs> to rap music and he swears. So he's not your typical priest, right? Yeah, I mean, they, yes. <laughs> um, but he is obviously the attempt at comic relief that they have in the movie. There's another character that is supposed to be funny. I didn't really find him funny, which is ironic because he's actually a stand-up comedian. The app hacker fella. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I do – I think it's clever the way the app tells you that uh, I don't like what you just did because a little message will pop up on your phone that says <laughs> – User agreement has been broken. And instead of a <laughs> ding, it's a... <laughs> yeah. You know, the entire experience is kind of like downloading an app that you forgot that you downloaded. Mm-hmm. You know, you download yeah. it because of some promo or yeah. you wanna, you're want you curious and then you just completely forget about it. Yeah. That Until was you ex- eventually delete it from your hard drive or yeah. Jeff's brain. <laughs> right. That's That was my experience watching it. I really enjoyed it. This is exactly my kind of movie. I expected to like it, and I did. And it's PG-13 horror, so none of the gore. Final Destination kind of kind of reveled in the fact that they were coming up with creative ways oh, to kill yes. people, and the, they show all the gore on there. If you're worried about your kids, you know, you want that – they're interested in that kind of concept, but you're not ready to expose them to all of that kind of visual, then this is a good option because there's less blood on your screen. You know how by the numbers this movie was, Cole? Uh, Just like every other teen horror movie, within the last 10 minutes of the movie, you get that that one allotted expletive and uh, right at the exact moment that you would think it would come. (laughs) Yeah. So <laughs> we used to play that game reviewing movies. I reviewed with a, with another with another woman for years and her and I would always before the movie started we would guess which character would get the sexual expletive <laughs> to qualify the movie for a PG-13 because let's face it kids won't go see it if it's not PG-13. I don't believe that but that's what the industry says. I think I would have had more fun playing that game but there really aren't that many characters in this film. Yeah. Um, Yeah, there's just a handful of them. Anyway, Cole, you and I watched another couple of Halloween movies. I'm actually kind of surprised at how few Halloween movies there are to 
choose from in the movie theaters this Halloween. So Cole and I had to sit down and at home watch a movie that has been in our queue for a long time and so much so that we need to talk about it. Huh. I've, I've been, been meaning, meaning to, to watch, watch that. So last week we teased that uh, there are a couple of we movies. We have fun doing that, Ross. <laughs> yes. What are you laughing at? I feel like I'm out of the club here. Nobody cued me. <laughs> a couple of movies that have been on in our queues for months, years even, uh, that we just have not gotten around to watching. But and we did this week. Cole, I am so excited to hear what you thought of a movie that is very near and dear to my heart that I don't even really consider a kid's movie, even though it is a computer animated movie. Yeah, computer animated is a much kinder word than than actual animation because it was not pretty to look at by any stretch. It was Monster House. Uh, I watch a lot of horror <laughs> movies, and it was kind of tough for me to find one that I've been meaning to watch that I haven't. That's the whole point of this little sure. shtick. But some of the kidsier options that I was ignoring when I was in high school trying to find the cool 80s horrors did slip through the cracks. Monster House, Paranorman, Coraline, these are movies where in the past couple of years I've been catching up on, and I've been pleasantly surprised until Monster House. Coraline oh. creeped me out. It was really cool to look at. Uh, Paranorman had a great idea behind it and had that unique kind of Leica animation. This one looked like a cheap mid-2000s PlayStation 2 video game it was probably in 3D at some point because things kept coming was. at me. Uh, I remember screen. screening it years ago. I, mm-hmm. This was produced by Robert Zemeckis, so I think it the was using his on, uh, mocap technology yeah. that he yeah. was a fan mm-hmm. of in the Polar Express, and that. So think Polar Express animation, but for Halloween instead of Christmas, and then picture just a scary house coming at you without much plot to go around it otherwise. What about the dialogue and the characters and the script? Ch- chubby, ch- chum- chumbo, chowder. Chumbo? Yeah. Ch- Come on, Cole. <laughs> chowder was n- not funny once. Hmm. The girl was very typical. I'm a strong, independent girl um, and didn't need no two boys pining after her, even though her and the other boy get together in the end. The the Steve Buscemi voiced old man was weird. I nah. There was not much about Monster. I want I want to know why you love Monster House, Jeff. I think it's funny. I think it's pretty creepy for kids. Mm. Um, and uh, the I, house the the movie relies a lot. If if the house was creatively drawn and animated, then it would have a lot more going for it. But the animation just looked so. So early days of animation. It looked like one of the Pixar mock-ups from before Toy Story. Mm. It was so bad. And this came out in 2005. I mean, Pixar was already in the thrust of their amazing movies. There were pretty animations going on in this era. And Monster House just looked stuck in the past. I think the motion capture aspect of it only helps it because the performances seem much more organic. Like when people are bantering back and forth like the parents Catherine O'Hara and Fred Willard who are at the very they beginning they were a highlight yes. they i mean it sounds it sounds real right as opposed to people in two separate booths that aren't hearing each other which sometimes happen in in voiceover yeah and i like those i like some of those uh slightly creepier than they should be when it's aimed at kids type movies that, uh, you know, you're kind of on the fence as a parent as to whether you should show it to your kids. So I think my kids may have been scared the first time they saw it and then they were maybe a little 
desensitized afterwards. I don't know what that says about me as a parent, but uh, I enjoyed it thoroughly, and I, I'll i watch it every year if I get the chance, Cole. It's one of your yeah. favorites, and you got a chance to watch one of my favorites, one of the classics of the horror genre, Nosferatu, The Living Vampire. Not one of my favorites, mm. but I mean, it's not that, not like Nosferatu needs my endorsement after all <laughs> these years, right? It is one that uh, that film scholars and film critics alike have revered over the the decades and almost over the century because this movie was shot in 1921, came Creeping out in 1922, on and uh, it was it was originally hoping to be based on Bram Stoker's Dracula, right? I've heard of it, and that was written. Uh, at almost in the uh, 20th century, it came out in 1897, so it was still not in the public domain. The uh, Murnau and the, the makers of this film wanted to secure the rights to turn this into a film, and uh, Stoker's family did not agree, and so what do you do when you're in Hollywood and you want to salvage a project? You change some of the yeah. names and change some of the plot points, but it was still very clearly Dracula, right? So they released the film, and then uh, Stoker's family sues the filmmakers, and the court ruling was that all of the copies of the film were to be destroyed. And just like most movies in such a situation, a few of them slip through the cracks, and over the years, they start popping up and being restored. And now we have this restored version of Nosferatu, which really, oh, at an hour and 35 minutes, still seemed way too long. Now, granted, I don't watch a lot of silent films. And if I were to sit down and watch one, I would be more inclined to turn on like a Charlie Chaplin or a Buster Keaton. Sure. When, you know, silent films, a silent film that could still be considered entertaining today. Um I do think the behind-the-scenes story might be a little more entertaining than the film itself. However, there are some things I really like about the film. Um, I like the use of shadow and suggestion. I think that the shadows in the movie are probably part of the, the probably the creepiest parts in the movie. That's why critics and, and film school kids study it. Sure, because mm-hmm. it yeah. was one of the originals that kind of showed us what what we could do with horror with the visual media of cinema. Right. And I don't know that you could find an understated performance in a silent film because there was no dialogue. You had to overact. You had to be over the top with the makeup, right? Uh, So it's not scary. And uh, my takeaway from the film at the very big, it comes from the very beginning of the film when, um, the main character is given the assignment by his boss from this real estate company to go to uh, Count Orlock's castle and sign the papers. He's going to – oh, by the way, he wants to live right across from you in this big, creepy, abandoned building. My takeaway from this film was never accept an assignment from someone who is laughing maniacally while he's giving it to you. Because that's what happens. Yeah, he's like like to the point where it's like, all right, dude, it's a little weird now. And uh, no surprise that this character ends up in an insane asylum later on in the film. But 
what I did appreciate about the film is that it made me want to go back and read Bram Stoker's Dracula, mm-hmm. which is an excellent, excellent book. And I wonder what uh, what Murnau's version of the film would have looked like had they not had to change it. I Every time I watch Nosferatu, it makes me want to go watch the hash-slinging slasher episode of Spongebob because it has that little cameo from Nosferatu. Ah, <laughs> interesting. And again, I'm the only person on the show that knows what Spongebob is, apparently. You know, oh, I, I love Spongebob, but I'm sorry. <laughs> I missed that episode, if you can believe it. Yeah, I didn't see that one. If you, if you can't get enough of Nosferatu, AMC has a current adaptation of it that you can check out. I wish I could tell you how to Google it, but it's like a mix of letters and numbers. It's supposed to look like a vanity license plate or something. So just look up AMC Nosferatu. I, I've never seen it, so take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> and if depending on when you listen to Screen Cleaning, this episode, but at the moment we're recording, it is available for free in your Amazon Prime subscription. Really? Yes, there it is on oh my, my device. I was going to sit here and watch it while you two were talking about it, but I thought that would be rude. <laughs> you know, well, at least it's silent, so it wouldn't have come over the microphones. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we return here on the program, we're going to continue talking about Halloween movies since there aren't very, very many out in the theaters right now, other than, I guess, The Adams Family and now Countdown. I and guess Zombieland Double Tap. And I guess It. All right, so kind of disregard what I just said. Doctor Sleep's coming out pretty soon. That's true. But there aren't very many (laughs) that you might sit down and watch with your family. And uh, there aren't really very many that take place on Halloween. There's always the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. That's true. I'm going to make sure we mention that one, In the In the 15 years of running our website, Every October, we got a spike in sales through, you know, affiliates with Amazon in the Great Pumpkin. Couldn't believe it. And our, the review for it would just spike each year, year after year. I just love how that movie, that, well, it's not even a movie, that little 22-minute Halloween People love the Great Pumpkin, going. Jeff. Yeah. Well, my wife was people not one of those it. people yes. that left one of those reviews. But anyway, <laughs> when we return, we're going to be talking about movies that are about Halloween itself. That's up next on Screen Cleaning. If you could know exactly when you were going to die, would you want to know? My time is up. (laughs) Boys and girls of every age, wouldn't you like to see something strange? Come with us and you will see. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. This is our big Halloween show, and we are so excited to tell you about some movies that actually take place on Halloween. I watch horror movies every October, but Halloween in the horror genre doesn't show up as often as you might think. You know, we're going to go through this list, and it's not a huge list. Some of them we haven't even seen, but we'll tell you what we know about them. And uh, I've seen most of them. Okay, well, have you seen a movie called... Fun Size. No. Fun Size is a Nickelodeon movie, and it's one of the few PG-13 Nickelodeon movies that they have. And uh, it's interesting because it's basically if you were to take Adventures in Babysitting and uh, put it around Halloween, that's what you'd get with Fun Size. It's a girl who wants to go off to college, but before she can do that, her mom is making her babysit on Halloween 
And, of course, she loses her little brother, and so she and her friends embark on all these crazy adventures to try to find her little brother on Halloween. Babysitting also featured in Monster House, which I very recently watched, and you talked about how much you love. That is on the list. By the way, speaking of fun size, I got to go off on a little soapbox here. Okay. Wouldn't you have more fun if the fun size candy bars were a bit bigger? So you want the movie called King Size? Yes. Yeah. No, I want the candy bar called King Size. <laughs> that is really the fun size. Anyway, I digress. Um, Medea's Halloween parts one and no, no. boo boo exclamation a Medea mark Halloween. A Medea Halloween. Yeah. And there's parts one and two. Have you I've seen, seen either? both of them? Are you kidding me? Of course, I saw the first one in theaters. Cole, this. Really? It was funny. I enjoy the Medea movies. As Tom Hanks once said on Black Jeopardy on Saturday Night Live, if I can laugh and pray in the same hour and a half, then it's a good movie. (laughs) (laughs) That is funny. I do remember really liking Diary of a Mad Black Woman, which was the original Medea Medea movie. movie. Yeah. Yeah. All the Medea movies are great. They put one around Halloween. Of course, I watched it. It's fun to watch Medea romp around and Halloween hijinks. Okay. There's also Paranorman. Now, Cole, you've mentioned this on the program already, but it's from Laika, the studio that brought us Coraline. Thank you, Laika. I love both of those movies. Coraline is one of the greatest Halloween movies, even though it doesn't take place on Halloween. Paranorman, one of those kind of Halloween movies where there's a curse that comes back each Halloween night and he's got to kind of deal with it. So very integral to the plot that it takes place on the 31st of October. Um, Coraline is beautiful to look at, and the story is pretty solid, too. I, I was more intrigued by the visuals in Paranorman than I was the script, but still an adm- admirable effort. I and just The opening, opening scene of Paranorman where he's just like walking down the road and chatting with all the ghosts that no one else can see. It's, they just do that creatively, how we see them, and then we yeah. don't see them. And he's a kid that talks to dead people also, if you want that trope that has been in a couple... Halloween movies, most famously The Sixth Sense. The Nightmare Before Christmas obviously takes place on Halloween as well as on Christmas. It starts on Halloween and mm-hmm. then gets us to Christmas uh, and highlighting all the many holidays it's, across the calendar. It really. is kind of cute how you've seen in other movies where like in Elf where Santa says, all right, there's only 364 more days until next Christmas. And everybody's like, yay. Uh, and they do the same kind of thing. All right, we got to get ready for next Halloween. It's, Ooh. I mean, you know about Nightmare Before Christmas, <laughs> so we don't need to say much more about this that. This is Halloween. Now, I have never seen Monster Squad. I did see about the first 20 minutes of it, and I, I never finished it. Do I need to go back and finish it? The funny, enjoyable 80s movie where all of the old universal monsters crop up and these kids, much like myself, that grew up watching them, are kind of geeking out at all the cool monsters that are all of a sudden showing up in their neighborhood. Dracula is the bad guy, but they team up with the other monsters to kind of get the monsters back into the big glowy portal and send them back to whatever monster verse they came from so is it kind of like the goonies but at halloween i mean if you want to describe any movie featuring a group of kids <laughs> doing an adventure as the goonies meets something else then, there you go yeah now go. i did see casper but i did never i never saw casper the friendly ghost or casper meets wendy starring hillary duff really casper the first one definitely takes place on halloween because i remember 
Or is it the second one that they go to a Halloween party? And Wendy, it's the second one because Wendy's witch aunts kind of end up hooking up with Casper's ghost uncles. But the ghost uncles were possessing real bodies and so they were actually kind of hitting it off but witches and ghosts apparently have some ancient feud a la like the twilight vampires and werewolves or any other vampire and werewolf that normally don't get along it's a it's a kids movie i i enjoyed them as a kid i still watched them some Octobers. Cole, this is why you get paid the big bucks i, I mean who else is going to do this type of research and dedicate their lives to these direct-to-DVD Halloween movies. Hey, 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 hey. Casper Meets Wendy. I did not do research on Casper Meets Wendy. I just remember that because I have seen it so That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. You've seen it. I'm not trying to make fun of you or belittle what you're doing. I'm just highlighting the fact that- It's an honest work. Yes. (laughs) And someone has to do it. And that someone is Cole Wissinger. And apparently no one else. There are a couple of others that we should mention. A, A year or two ago- I went to the theaters, and on the show, I had a segment about, are these two movies that are coming out around Halloween, are they going to be too scary for your young ones? Because at that time, I had a five- or a six-year-old and a three- or a four-year-old, and Which I... means most things described as scary are too scary for them. Okay. Um, here's really what it meant, though. There were trailers that came out for two kids' movies that... I, as an adult, wanted to see but couldn't justify going to the movie to see it by myself unless I was taking a kid or doing it for the purpose of the show. And you just so happened to have kids. But in my heart of hearts, I think I really wanted to watch them. One of them was uh, The House with a Clock in Its Walls. Starring Jack Black. And Goosebumps 2. Starring the voice of Jack Black. Yes, and he also makes the, – the human Jack Black also makes a cameo. So I went to see both of these. I did not take my kid to see the house with a clock in its walls, and I'm glad that I did not because of the two, it's definitely much scarier. This – just to give you some perspective here, directed by Eli Roth, who up until this <laughs> point has really only done these super gory R-rated films, right? Splatter flicks. Right, but he did a PG movie. I actually enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more than Goosebumps 2. But I saw Goosebumps 2 and I remember thinking, oh, this is tame enough. My daughter can handle this. Yeah. She made it about 30 minutes into the movie. And once Slappy the Doll enters the film, that did it for her. And she is almost eight years old now. She is still terrified of Slappy the Doll. If you could get spooked by Goosebumps 2, then definitely avoid the more adult fare for the holiday, like the Halloween franchise, especially Season of the Witch number three, the one that doesn't have Michael Myers. It's the most Halloween-y of the bunch. And Trick or Treat, which is another R-rated movie that kind of tells four different stories that come together in a really cool way. If I have a favorite kids entry into the holiday, though, it's got to be the Disney Channel original movie, Halloween Town. And Halloween Town 2, Calabar's Revenge. Revenge. Yeah, what a great name, huh? And Halloween Town High, the third one is pretty good too. They recast Marnie for the fourth one. It's fine, whatever. Disney also gave us Under Wraps and Phantom of the Megaplex, which also kind of go on on Halloween. But Halloween Town is their magnum opus as far as I'm concerned. And I couldn't let any discussion of Halloween movies go by without the one where the portal to the other world of monsters and mayhem is open once a year on Halloween night. 
When we return, we're going to be sharing with you some options for perfect movie pairings for movies that don't take place on Halloween, but are likely to be seen by you and your family each and every year. And if you haven't, you might want to start a tradition. That's up next on Screen Cleaning. song takes me back to the good old days of high school when I was a junior and I got to play Orin Scrivello DDS, the uh, the horrible, torturous dentist in uh, Little Shop of Horrors. You'll be a dentist. Yes, and I was. I even had the jet black hair and everything. It was so much fun. Anyway... You know, remember the old days, Cole, when double features used to be a big deal? And what was even a bigger deal than a double feature was a horror double feature, right? Unfortunately, our local drive-in movie theater was closed by the time we got to Halloween because, no. I mean, it, it gets really cold in Pennsylvania by that True. time of the year. But double features on Halloween night are still a tradition for me, I, but they don't always pair well. And so we want to kind of give you some ideas of the movies that go together. Yeah, and two that really sparked the idea for this segment are two that we pretty much watch every year. One so more than the other, but the first is Rear Window. Probably one of the most perfect movies ever made, or if not perfect movies ever made, it's certainly one of the most perfect suspense films ever made. And it routinely shows up on so many great American film lists. And it's definitely one of the best Alfred Hitchcock movies. Probably my second favorite behind Psycho. But this idea of spying on your neighbors is something that shows up every once in a while in horror movies. It was in Monster House that I just watched. That is true. But that is not the movie I would like to pair with Rear Window. It was in Disturbia, which is basically a Rear Window remake. Also not the movie I'd like to pair. Hmm. So Home Alone 3? They do that in, in, in no, that movie as well. If you're looking for something a little lighter, a little more farcical, you're going to want to check out the movie from the 80s starring Tom Hanks called The Burbs. Yeah. This is a movie that didn't do well when it came out. It has a cult following now, and people really love this movie. And if you watch it, it might be a little quirky and weird, but stay through to the end. It is so funny. So entertaining, and it's – I don't want to say it's the palate cleanser of Rear Window because Rear Window doesn't need – you don't need your palate cleansed after watching Rear Window. But it is a little creepy, right? So if you want some levity in the marathon. Absolutely. So double feature, you can't go wrong with Rear Window and the burbs. How about horror coming from a place where you didn't think it could be scary? Like Hmm. some smaller creature. Normally horror comes from the attack of the 50-foot woman or really big spiders or things of that nature from the olden days. But right around the mid-80s, there were two very similar movies that both gave us horror from a small critter. One called Critters and the other Gremlins. Okay. I love how you mentioned a Joe Dante film because Joe Dante directed Gremlins. He also directed The Burbs. So he's got he's very good at like these really creepy but really funny, basically dark humorous mm-hmm. uh films. Gremlins also a Christmas movie, if we want to talk about when I the guess. movies take place. Sure. Gremlins came out a couple years earlier than Critters, but 
New Line Cinema, which was kind of birthed. It's called The House That Freddie Built. It was birthed by The Nightmare <laughs> on Elm Street. Yep. And they were looking for new ideas to kind of keep this new production company rolling. They saw the massive box office success of Gremlins and rushed into development their own version of it, which is Critters. Critters are little, like, fuzzballs from outer space, and this, like, shapeshifter comes down to try to track them down and get them off of Earth. Gremlins... They are just from the Amazon, I think, and they're brought here as a Christmas present, and you can't feed them after midnight. And don't get them near water either. Don't get them near water either, or they'll turn from cute little fuzzballs into very horrifying little creatures. They multiply. That's right. Okay, so that's a good pairing. Everybody loves Clue. Everybody knows about Clue. You've played the board game. You've seen the movie probably a hundred times. Going to see the remake with Ryan Reynolds. Whoa. Well, we'll have to talk more about that when more details come out. (laughs) But the movie I would pair that with is a movie called Murder by Death. Very similar premise, but it's not based on a board game. It's actually a spoof of all of the Agatha Christie PBS masterpiece theater type detectives. So you have the Charlie Chan type detective played by Peter Sellers. You've got the Miss Marple character who's Miss Marbles in the movie. Uh-huh. You've got the Humphrey Bogart uh, detective played by uh, Peter Falk. There's also Alec Guinness, David Niven. And uh, it's, it might be considered a little, a little offensive by today's standards because Peter Sellers is playing a, a Chinese detective. And some of the dialogue they give him might not be – uh, culturally sensitive. friendly, I guess. Yeah, or sensitive. That's a good word. But it's a movie full of one-liners. It's written by Neil Simon. So you know it's going to be witty and funny and just a good time and a perfect pairing with Clue. And I, I do love Clue. I've still not seen Murder by Death. And so it's something that now I've maybe been meaning to watch. There you go. <laughs> Earlier this year, I saw a horror movie that a lot of people have been looking forward to, directed by Jordan Peele, called Us. It is a rated R movie, and I want to pair it with another one that's probably not the best. Neither one of these are the best for kids, but that have something to do with each other without being the same, right? Critters and Gremlins get their horror from this exact same place. They're One's basically a knockoff of the other. But in the beginning of Us... We're in the 80s, and someone has a VHS copy of Chud sitting next to their TV as we're setting up the movie. And the movie eventually goes on to feature these characters that lived underground for a while but eventually had their uprising. Chud was an 80s movie that kind of did that same thing and was an inspiration to Jordan Peele, who loves these goofy, sometimes kind of hilariously bad 80s horror movies just like I do. Chud stands for cannibalistic humanoids under ground, under Under D. Under duress? Under under the D something. Under the dome? Something. (laughs) Under Disney? Under, nowadays, (laughs) maybe it was Fox. Maybe it is under Disney. Interesting. Anyway, it's it's one of the inspirations. It's, It's a chemical spill that happened in Manhattan and mutated these creatures into people-eating monsters. Okay. A little bit different from us, but definitely an inspiration for when Jordan Peele went on to create it. So it kind of gives you a background to another movie that was really well-received this year. My favorite type of scary movie has the theme where people aren't who they 
seem to be, right? It used to they used to be their normal self, but now it's somebody else completely. So of course I've got to go with Invasion of the Body Snatchers. One of your favorites. This great uh this great allegory of the McCarthy era where people who anybody could be a communist. It could be your it could be a loved one. It could be someone in your very own household. It could be you. That is a communist. Yeah, mm-hmm. you could be a communist, right? <laughs> Um, so it's this great idea with these pod people. These pods come down from outer space, and then if you fall asleep, so it plays on multiple fears. You know, falling asleep, someone that you love is not the person they say they are, and uh, the the nineteen seventy eight version, especially starring Donald Sutherland, Jeff Goldblum, and Leonard Nimoy. That's I mean that's got to be one of the greatest cast lists ever assembled, right? And uh, yeah, don't fall asleep. And beware of anybody that rears their head back and shows the whites of their eyes and goes like this. Ah! Be weary of that type of a person. I think I'd be weary of that type of a person even if I hadn't seen Fisher the Body Snatchers. (laughs) Yeah, Cole was scared when I did that just now. And that goes really well with The Stepford Wives, which is based on a novel. And again, this idea of there's, you know, there's more you could read, uh, you could take away from this film other than people aren't who they say they are. It's basically about these horrible husbands who want their wives to conform to this stereotypical wife, you know, staying at home, cooking meals and, you know, just being this picture perfect. Fitting in. Yeah. Fitting in conformity. This one's more about conformity, but great pairing and uh, two great movies. Invasion of the Body Snatchers is one of the great combos of genres in movie history where it's horror and sci-fi, right? The Thing is another one that plays on those same fears that does horror and sci-fi really well. Horror and comedy is another of my personal favorites, but horror musicals do not get enough credit, Jeffrey. Mm. And I think that Sweeney Todd and Little Shop Little Shop of Horrors would go extremely well together. Yeah. You know, I've actually always said that Sweeney Todd is kind of a mix between Les Mis and Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop of Horrors in that you have these characters that are knocking off humans and and using that meat for a very specific purpose, mm. right? And then Les Mis in that you have another character that is – bent on revenge yes. right is trying to right some wrongs and i'm i was so surprised when i saw sweeney todd of, of how much i enjoyed it <laughs> because if you see the tim burton movie which is r- rated r and very much deserves that r rating because it's very gory blood. but there are actually some beautiful songs in that film there's this this younger character who is trying to woo this beautiful young woman who has a troubled past mm-hmm. and he uh, has this song that's just – I think it's just called Joanna. And he's walking through the streets singing this beautiful song of pining and longing. That from... was the character that Andy Bernard played in the office version of Sweeney Todd. That's right. There's another character who is the proprietor of this meat pie shop. That's all we'll say about that. <laughs> who longs to be with this character of Sweeney Todd who also has a very troubled past and – 
it's likely never going to happen between the two of them. By the Sea and Somewhere That's Green serve kind of the same plot point mm-hmm. in both where the gal that is pining over our main hero protagonist kind of go off on a little fantasy where they can have this normal life even though all these horrific things are happening in both of their lives. So there are a bunch of different options if you want to do a double feature, two movies that would pair very well together. And, uh, you know, there's obviously these movies are a little more prominent than some of the others that we talked about, which is really why on the show we like to end each and every show by doing a little panning for good. There's good in them dire hills. The whole idea or premise behind Panning for Good is this idea behind just trying to find that little nugget of goodness, looking a little deeper, a little harder for something that uh, is noteworthy that that we want to talk about. I've learned about all kinds of things during this segment, and this week you taught me something as well. Yeah, I found an article on IMDb about all these horror movies that were based on books that you may not have known were based on books. You're probably familiar with and have seen the the teen horror slasher movie, I Know What You Did Last Summer, right, Followed Cole? up by I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, starring right. Sarah Michelle Gellar and... Uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt and Freddie Prinze Jr. and Ryan Phillippe. Kind of the staples of Cole, these the were my These were my high school years, so or my junior high and high school years. This The movie came out in 1997. I don't want to talk about A the movie. A year after Scream. Right. I don't want to talk about the movie because the movie is rated R, but what you didn't know is that it's actually based on a book. Definitely didn't know that. This would have gone great with our last week's episode, scary audiobooks or scary short stories that you could go out and listen to or read, right? So it's less than a four-hour book, and I was surprised and delighted to discover as I was listening to it, I don't think I've heard a single swear word yet, Cole. I don't think I've heard a single person die, minus the person at the beginning that dies in the car accident, because the premise what is... what they did last summer. These four friends hit somebody in their car, and I say somebody because it's different in the book than it is from the movie, um, and they all make this pact that they're not going to tell anybody about it. Reluctantly, some of the characters are a little more reluctant in the pact, but it's these four friends that are finishing high school and are going on to college, and they really would like to move on with their lives when uh, they uh, hit a little boy on a bicycle in this book. That's what it is in the book. So it's really sad, and it's really this moral dilemma, you know. And the points that are made in the book are they're probably thoughts that might come across somebody else's mind during this moment, which unfortunately is why you do see and read about so many hit and runs in the news. It's it's horrible. But um, you have this mysterious note that pops up saying, I know what you did last summer. And really, when all is said and done, uh, there are very few swear words in it, and they're the mildest of swear words. And so that is one that I would feel okay recommending in our Panning for Good segment. I know what you did last summer, although I would not recommend the movie. The book. If you want a tamer version, a cleaner version, check out the book, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Great recommendation. Thank you. So that's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. We've so enjoyed talking about Halloween on the program this week and last week. And again, 
You can find our program on BYURadio.org, Saturdays, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on BYU Radio. And we can't wait to come back next week to give you the very best in entertainment. Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween!